You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast, You Can't Say That, where you hear coffee bubbling in the background for my next guest, whom I <laughs> met, gosh, it's got to be like 16 years ago, yeah. backstage at a theater. He had a, a hot little young guy with him at the time, who I'm sure has gone by the wayside. Hey. Look, I saw the face. I was like, myself a hot was young guy You at the time. were indeed, but you were with another <laughs> hot young guy. A show that he says that he is obsessed with, Caroline or Change, which is coming back to Broadway I right am now. With it. And he is the national dance and theater editor for Time Out magazine. And he is also the president of the New York Drama Critics Circle. That is correct. And so my guest is, did you guess already? Adam Feldman. <laughs> no one guessed. No one guessed. But that's okay. So I don't think I remembered, I may have known, because I'm sure we had this conversation when I met you, that you're from Canada. I am. I'm from Montreal. Uh, je parle français? Oui, je parle français. Not as well as once I did. It's funny, because I grew up in the English-speaking minority of Montreal. Okay. So I was already sort of a minority within a minority within a minority. And tell me what those minorities are. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> if, it even goes, if you want to go even deeper in that, I grew up uh, gay within the Jewish community, within the English-speaking community, within the French-speaking community, within the larger English community of North America. Okay. Know? So uh, so I, I, I do feel like that those concentric circles leading to my identity have given me, even though I think I present very much as a kind of uh, regular uh, cis white guy uh, in his 40s, I think that uh, I do have a little bit, a touch of, knowledge about outsiderness, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am an immigrant. I'm not an immigrant from a, a, a you know, disadvantaged country, but I do know what it's like to be in that position in some way. And how do you get to stay in this country? Uh, I had a series of visas, and now I have a resident. I'm a, I have a green card. Does that mean you're subject to the new denaturalization policy that the Justice Department just made? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure exactly what that is, but I'm in the middle of applying now for my... Um, for my naturalization, for my whatever that's called, from, um, to become an American A naturalized citizen. citizen. Yeah. So you're going to learn all the things that real people who have, were born in America don't know. You're going to know more about America than people who were born I, here don't I think know. I always have. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I was one of those kids. Like I, I, I knew all, I could name you all hundred senators when I was a teenager. You know, I was one of those kids. And uh, so I, I'm not worried about the civics test part of it. Okay. Uh, I'm just worried a little bit about the timing because this government, as you know, is so capricious and so unstable and you never know what strange, crazy laws they may uh, throw out at any given moment. No, that's real. Um, And so that does make me nervous. It's one reason that I I mean, uh, that I'm going to be putting this application in now. I've been putting it off for a little bit. Um, But I do want to try to stabilize that as much as I can. And why do you want to become a citizen at this moment under this administration? I mean, to me, like, Americans are trying to go to Canada. Like, why are you trying to get an American citizenship? I think I still have family in Canada. If it ever came to that, I think I would be able to go back to Canada. So we don't make you give Uh, it up? um, I'm not sure about that, but I don't think so. Uh, Or rather, I don't think Canada makes me give it up, um, my citizenship. But even if they did, I have uh, parents there. I have a sister and her family there. You know, I would be able to go back to Canada in some capacity. I feel confident. Uh, And does Canada give you the UK? No. Oh, okay. No. uh, But, I mean... But I love living in New York. I love living in the United States, especially in New York. And New York, to some extent, as you know, is not really the America. United States. It's you know? not America. Yeah, it's it not. is it's not a America. Different thing, you know. And uh, it's a very international, cosmopolitan city. And and so, for that matter, in its way, was Montreal. Uh, Montreal had the difference of being, first of all, much smaller, and second of all, mostly French. And so, it was like a European cosmopolitan city. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of North America. But that was great to grow up in. I mean, I, I feel so lucky in retrospect. I go back and visit sometimes. I still have family there. And what a great city Montreal is. It's the funniest thing because every we're so close to it here and nobody thinks about it because Americans, God bless us. Um, you know, really, like the map stops outside the map of the United States. And I, I, I used to play this game with people. They would be like, where are you from? And I'd say, well, why don't you guess? And they would, we would eventually land in the northeast, and they would name every state. And they would be like, they would be taking a test in their heads. They'd be like, do I remember all the northeastern states? states yeah. Yes. Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Rhode Island. And they'd finally get, they'd go through all the states, and then they would be baffled. They'd be like, I've named everywhere. And you just want to say, well, no, in fact, there's a whole second largest country in the world right on top of that. Um, you know, I, I grew up an hour away from the Vermont border. I mean, I, I grew up, when I was growing up, Bernie Sanders was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Oh. So I've known Bernie Sanders, I mean, not personally, but like I've known of Bernie Sanders for a long time. So you're saying that the politics of Vermont was leaning over into Montreal? Well, we were, the, not the politics, but the television. Oh. Of, of, of Vermont because we had Canadian television, but we right. also we, I had, we had cable TV and the and the American channels that would come in were from uh, Vermont wow. and, from, and from upstate New York, and so we would that's what that, you know I would get all my news filtered through local Vermont television. Okay, you know? um, which was interesting, and Vermont is you know uh, a lovely state and full of lovely. people. It's an unusual state in this country. It's really strange. Though. And it had a crazy switcheroo politically. Yeah. Because it's mostly rural. Right. And it's, um, it's also, it used to be part of this kind of northeastern Republican bloc. It voted the most solidly Republican of any state until Bill Clinton. Uh, it had the most solidly Republican re- voting record. But that's because Republican meant something completely different. And all these southern states had the most so- solidly Democratic 
right? Know, we forget records. that Lincoln was a Republican, and that's why right. blacks were traditionally Republicans. Right, and, and that's why people in the South uh, refused to vote Republican for 100 years after the Civil War. They were not forgiven it. And then when they couldn't vote for Democrats anymore because the Democrats <laughs> were passing civil rights stuff, um, they made their own split-off party. They made the Dixiecrats. We had Strom Thurmond running for right. president on a, on a splinter Democratic party, basically. Right. Um, you they, are quite educated about my <laughs> country's I'm going to ace this civics test. Mm. Mm. But anyway, the thing, uh, Montreal is really just this amazing uh, gift and opportunity that is so close to people here, and uh, people just don't think about it. It's only 45 minutes away on an airplane. Uh, the, the exchange rate is great. There's great food. There's great people. It's a really sexy town. Um, Montreal Tourism Board, right That's here. right. I should be compensated <laughs> for this. And so you're, you're when are you moving back? I'm not. I don't <laughs> currently have any plans to move back. But I've lived in New York my entire adult life. I feel very much like a what New Yorker. Mi- when do you start that you were an adult? Uh, I, I'm starting after college. <laughs> I, so I should qualify that. But I think that college is sort of like a, is a limbo zone between child and But adult. Caroline was like 16 years ago, and I thought you were kind of new. I was kind of new. That was my first year at Time Out back then. Okay, but you weren't new to America. No, I'd been in America for for a number of years at that point. I gone to, so I went to um, I went to Harvard, and then I Harvard. No, Harvard, Harvard, yes, the Harvard of the East. And what'd you study there? Uh, I did. I ended up in English literature and language, um, but it was a, it was a, it was an, I had a journey to there because when when I was uh, in high school, I was very into politics, and I did a lot of debating. I was a, I was a, a national. I was in the top five nationally debating uh, in, in Canada. And uh, that's what I thought I was going to do. I was going to be a lawyer, and then I was going to go into politics. And I went to Harvard in part because they had a really good government program, and I just assumed that is what I was going to do. And I, so my freshman year, I took all these government courses, and I realized I really didn't like <laughs> government. Um, and I and, and I didn't love the people who were in those courses. Um, mm. And I, I found what that was I, it about them you didn't like? Because I felt this way about law students when I was um, in law school. I don't know. They weren't my kind of people. I was drifting into a more artsy space, and I was doing theater on the side and, at Harvard. Clearly at Harvard, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't have at that point a a theater major there. They do now, but they was the, ART around then? It was. So it was it was right next door, and and we used some of those spaces for student productions, and we had a sort of a teaching relationship a little bit with them. But uh, it wasn't. And Robert Brewston was a, was on the Harvard faculty, but it wasn't. Um, there wasn't an academic framework for studying theater as a as a discipline or as a craft. So, uh, so I found that I was really gravitating toward my electives in mm. my and and I thought, well, maybe I can do. I can create my own kind of double major. So okay. I went to the department heads and I said, I'd like to do a double concentration in government and English. And maybe we can find some way to do that. We can talk about like the, the language of constitutions or something like that, you know? <laughs> we can find some way to bring these two things together. And the English department was super on board with it and the government department was not budget. They were like, yeah, you can do a double credit concentration as long as you meet all the requirements for a full government concentration. Oh. And I was like, well, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> so what did you do? So I moved my, this is, oh God, this is like the history of my academic career. Um, I, I, sophomore year, I changed concentrations into something called social studies, which is uh, a combination, a more broad-based concentration that involved government, but also involved economics and history and sociology. And, and uh, it was an all-honors concentration, and I didn't like that e- either. Um, <laughs> I mean, I did a lot of great reading. I got a lot out of it. I don't regret having done that. But again, I really felt like, I, the only things I was really looking forward to were my electives that I was doing in English. And so I realized I got to fix this. And so my junior year, 
I switched into honors English, and I met all the. I spent the next two years meeting all of my requirements for for English while doing theater on, on the And what side. place did you do? Uh, well, what place was I in? Well, I know you're a singer. I, so I want to know yeah. about the musicals you did at Harvard. I did uh, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. <laughs> oh. I played Jasper in okay. The Mystery of Edwin Drood, which was great. It's the most fun. I've, I mean, one of, one of the most fun times I've ever had on stage. Um, and uh, I was in an original musical called A House Divided. Uh, by and, um By students who I wrote it at the time. And uh, I was in a Gilbert and Sullivan Rarity called Utopia Limited that okay. nobody ever does. And okay. there's a reason for that. <laughs> uh, but it was great fun. And uh, and I was in the Hasty Pudding for three years, which was the most demanding. The Hasty Pudding it, uh, was at that time an all-male uh, uh, theatrical group. It's one of the oldest in the country. It's like 172 years old this year. Uh, it's a student written and acted musical burlesque. Uh, and up until two years ago, the, it was an all-male cast. It was the last of that. Two years of, ago, they yeah. let women in. Mm-hmm. They decided. Was there a lawsuit involved? Uh, no lawsuit. But the <laughs> times, it, you know, it, it, was, it, was a hard, it was a hard transition because it was the last. I mean, all of those troops, all of those colleges used to be all-male. And so these these kind of burlesque musical comedies. Men like to dress up like yeah, women because they do. Up, yep, as they do. As they always have. <laughs> and it was funny. It was, and it was, I mean, it's a, it's a fabulous experience. And there were always women in the company, just not in, in the cast. Um, <laughs> we ran all the backstage stuff. Right, right. They were producing the show. But, uh, but we can't get those jobs in the real world. Well, the feeling was that it was an artistic thing. You know, that this is what the Hasty Pudding was. It was what, okay. is what had always defined the Hasty Pudding. And so it was very resistant to change. But it has now, and I think that's, that's the right decision. Um, and they're back. They're actually coming. We're recording this at a time when they are about to visit New York. Hasty Pudding. Yes, because every year. So the Pudding was a huge production. You'd run for like three or four weeks in Cambridge, uh, like six times a week. And then you'd go on tour to New York and Bermuda. It took up our entire spring. I mean, wow. The, uh, the, uh, it's a huge musical comedy extravaganza with huge cost- professionally done costumes and, and sets. It was like being in an off-Broadway show for, you know, for months. And it was hard to juggle that with writing either academics. You know. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a tremendous experience. Okay, so I've seen you perform, and you're really quite good. You have Thank a you wonderful much. voice. Thank you. So, you know, why did you then come to New York and be, not become a musical theater performer? Uh, that is an interesting question. Um, well, I did do a musical after I graduated. Professionally? I, uh, yes, I did, I did an equity-eligible musical. Uh, in Pennsylvania, in Haverford, Pennsylvania, that Scott Schwartz directed. Um, and it was uh, a musical about Alice in Wonderland, about, about um, Lewis Carroll. And I played the, half of it was set in, in modern, uh, then modern England, right. and, and uh, half of it was set in Wonderland. And I played the Caterpillar. I had a crazy little patter song uh, about mathematics or something. Anyway, um, it... Uh, it was uh, a, a very good experience, but I'm, I moved to New York. I thought I was going to go to. I thought I was going to spend a year in New York. I wanted to take a year off of college, and I thought I was going to go and get my PhD. In uh, it depended, as it turned out. Well, anyway, I, either either in English or in American studies. To do what? To become, I thought at the time, um, an academic. Okay. Uh, and uh, and I applied to the places <laughs> I wanted to go, and I got into them. And then where were they? Uh, they were Columbia and Yale. Okay. And then I decided I didn't want to do it. Why? Oops. Um, Why didn't you want to do it? I, uh, mm. 
I I realized I, you know I, I was I was really enjoying New York and I was acting I was doing off Broadway off off, and I, was, off I was doing off 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 Broadway stuff I was doing Shakespeare in the parking lot type stuff um, downtown uh, and I was enjoying that I uh, had a job that I was uh, being paid fairly well for so I was I was living pretty well <clears throat> for for my age and uh, and I enjoyed it and I realized I didn't have the um, the real drive to become a, a, a full-time academic. I, I, my interest wasn't sustainable. But you that. also didn't even have the real drive to become a full-time actor. Well, that's true. Uh, and that's a, diff- a slightly different question. Okay. I, 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 I love performing. I think that I, I hit a ceiling. <clears throat> if I'm honest with myself, I think I hit a ceiling in terms of how well I can be... Um, present as a as a character you know that's a different thing i think that there's a i i think i top out as an actor um no i I don't understand well i do i don't think i can inhabit another person yeah but there people become stars for being personalities well no that's true and maybe you could have been a personality i could have been i could have tried to be a personality star but i don't know if i have enough personality for that number one number two uh there uh, this is where the immigration thing comes in uh i didn't have the right to do it what do you mean you didn't have the right to be in an equity play because you couldn't i didn't know i didn't have a visa for it Ah. I had work-related visas. So uh, I could work for free, but uh, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't really pursue. And I'm not saying this is what made the difference. There were a lot of different factors. But that was one of the things. You know, I would have had to go back to Canada. And, and if I had been serious about it, maybe I would have. But maybe what if you had booked a Broadway well, show? They could have taken care of your visa problems, maybe, right? But I wouldn't book a Broadway show. They, were not gonna, they wouldn't have booked me on a Broadway show. I have to build my way up to that. And... Uh, and so anyway, this is I, your ideas. This is my yeah. I could have gone. I could have gone back. To, I could have gone to Toronto if I if I had been really serious about it. I would have returned to Canada. Toronto has a terrific uh, theater scene. And, it sure does. And I would have gone there, and I would have pursued it there. I would have taken classes. I would have gotten better, and I could have pursued that. You have a lot of career. standards for this. I do. Well, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a critic. You became a critic. At this point, you're not a critic no, yet. I'm not. At this point in your life, you're just someone who's got a nice job. You're doing some theater on the side, Correct. deciding you don't want to do the PhD as an academic. So, you know, you know, I got my first Broadway show on my Chris on my Christmas break from college at Carnegie Mellon. Well, yeah. So it could have happened for you. Well, if I were Tonya Pinkins, then I could have done that. <laughs> you're but Adam Feldman. I I've am. seen you. You're very talented. I am, but I'm not Tonya Pinkins. Uh, and there is uh, there is a difference between those two things, and I I feel maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I I did feel like uh, there was only so far I could go. Um, but that but again, if but it, do you feel that there was some? Pre- I mean, like you were a, a, a clearly a very heady academic. Was there internal pressure? Because you know ac- actors are considered kind of the low lives of the no. world. I mean, they are the low lives of the world. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like Harvard. To your parents, were your parents going to be like Harvard? You want to be an actor? What? No, no. My parents would have um, been supportive. They, I, I did a lot of acting as a kid. They've always been wonderfully supportive that way. Uh, they, I mean, I think they ultimately would prefer that I had gone to law school or something like that. At that time, at least, that's what they were hoping I would do because they wanted me to have a more stable fallback position than drifting around New York uh, being a a dilettante at large. Uh, I actually had that printed up on business cards. Uh, But I I think uh, I I don't regret that time. I, I, I had a really lovely entry into New York. I, uh, it was a very exciting scene back there. 
at that time, the meatpacking district was still marginally the meatpacking district mm-hmm. before the renovations. And so there were places like Jackie Six, oh, this club that I used to go to every Tuesdays, where it was really just like a, a, a very exciting, queer, but unbelievably creative uh, scene. And I met a lot of wonderful people and I had a lot of wonderful experiences. I, I don't regret any of that. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, there was a time that when I began to regret it, when I'd been here for a few years, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do next. I was still in the same job. And it was still paying fine, but it wasn't satisfying to me. And I began to think, geez, maybe I should go to law school. And then sort of magically, I ended up becoming a critic. How did that happen? Um, How does that magically happen? Well, in my case, I was participating on these online discussion groups about theater. Like chat rooms? Yeah, sort of. It was in the late 90s. And so it was was on... um, Unix it was just it was all text based, you know, it was, it was before the fancier versions of them that we have now. But, but there was a it was a good group of people who were very passionate about theater. And <clears throat> I got into a lot of heated arguments with people and I had strong opinions about things. And uh, when Show Business Weekly was starting up again, the, which was sort of an alternative to backstage, they wanted people to write for them. And someone reached out to me and said, hey, we like what you've been writing online. Um, would you like to review shows for us? And so I did, and I reviewed shows for them. And, and then I started doing it for Broadway.com back when they had reviews. And then a position opened up at Time Out, and they uh, asked me to apply for it. And that was in 2003. So I've been there for 16 years. Wow, that's like Carolina change. It, it actually is exactly that because Caroline, <laughs> Caroline was in uh, November two thousand three at the yeah. public, yeah, uh, yeah, at the public, and that was the first show that uh, that I really loved as a critic at Time Out, and it was also one of the first. It was a very good experience, as you will remember. Um, it it was a good experience of disappointment. <laughs> uh, it was it, uh, it was a good learning experience. In what way? Because, well, we can talk about Caroline, please, for as much as you want. But Caroline, for me, is a a very, very special, special show. Uh, And uh, it's really one of, if I had to assemble, and I hate making such lists for myself, but if I had to assemble like a list of the shows that had meant the most to me personally, had changed me most as a person, it is right up there in the top group. Uh, You know, it's in my top five or ten shows of all time. Um, So... 
it's a show, and we can talk about why, et cetera, later if you feel like it, but this is a show that I felt very, very passionately about and that I went to bat for as much as I could, but a show that did not get all of the critical support that it deserved in some other places. It was really sort of, there were a few of us, and I remember who it was because I felt so, so I was really, I felt like it was warring camps at the time, people who were, who were on the side of the angels and people who weren't getting it. And so I remember it was like it was me, it was John Halpern, it was uh, it was John Lahr, and it was Lisa Gardner in USA Today, and uh, uh, Frank Rich wrote something nice about it, but he wasn't the critic at the time. David Richards, I think, did as yeah, well. But I mean, but that's it. And then everyone else was sort of mixed. Well, you know, the politics behind that was uh, uh, Kushner and Brantley were having some uh, unknown to me, but we did know that they were having some personal testosterone match. And so even before we even went into production, we knew that Brantley was going to kill us and had already decided that the show was not even going to be considerable for a Pulitzer. It's a strange thing. <laughs> it's a strange thing how that happens. Because, you know, I'm not even saying, I can't speak for Ben Brantley. Uh, we haven't talked about this. But I think that in general, the, no one does this, I don't think, on purpose. But there are cycles that reputations ride out for critics. And this was about 10 years after Angels in America. And we were at that point in the cycle where people were asking, oh, is Tony Kushner really that great? You know, they want to tear you down. They yeah, build you just, up. They, they just feel like they praise him so much. And now is it time for a reevaluation? It, it, it's not that that I don't think that anyone sits down and says that, but it's just that psychologically there's the, there's a feeling of that kind that sets in. And so people and this was after Homebody Cobble, which uh, people had received respectfully, but which was not Angels in America. And so we we're at that point where it's like, oh, did we overpraise Tony Kushner as the next big thing? Um, and I don't think they had. Uh, but but nonetheless, there is that there's that weird Oedipal thing. Uh, and so I think uh, there was that. And also, But I'm telling you that before the show existed, yeah. we knew we were going to get a bad review from the Times. So this is a predisposed thing that yeah. was discussed because contractually I got to sit in on all those marketing meetings. Huh, that's fascinating. <laughs> well, I mean, also the show itself is um, initially challenging in some ways. And I think it's very telling that everywhere it went after New York, it got the reviews that it deserved. Because, and it broke box office yeah. records and yeah. won the awards that it didn't win in America. Right. But it, everyone else got it. And for, for a number of reasons. I mean, they they'd had a chance to sit down with the cast album, get the get, her, get their heads around, get their ears around it. Uh, they had been able to read other people's opinions of it that put things in perspective for them, maybe that clicked the show in certain ways that they hadn't been able to connect. The first. It's hard when you're a critic, and I'm not blaming the people who didn't get it the first time. It, you're, you're you're writing about it just a few days after you've seen it, and it hasn't all settled in. Um, and and Caroline in particular poses certain challenges. Like what? Well, because it wasn't written to be a two-act show, for one thing. There's no, it doesn't have a clear two-act structure. So usually you'd have this crisis at the end of the first act, and you'd go out having the audience talking about it. And, you know, and, and that crisis doesn't really happen until a third of the way through the second act. Uh, and so what, what, it, what it asks of you as an audience is to trust it. It says, this is set up, this is pulling back the bowstring, and go with it. Just we're going somewhere. Trust us, we're going somewhere interesting, and 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 if you do, then you can go somewhere very personally meaningful, and I can attest to that personally. But if you give up on it, if you check out of it, then it's done. And I think people who who didn't know yet, <laughs> you know, when you're watching it for the first time, you don't have any guideposts, and this is where critics can be useful. If a critic 
helps set up that trust. Can, a critic can tell you, this is really great, wait for it. You know? Well, I remember reading it and going, oh, they're not doing Aristotelian story structure here. Mm. And I was like, okay, but these are brilliant people. It's going to be cool. And I feel in a certain sense, Wild Party was the beginning of laying the path for these shows that don't follow that traditional three-act structure. People just still weren't quite ready for it. And as George used to say, if you came in to see Caroline and you were like, I am not going to feel anything, mm-hmm. then you had to hate it the whole way. Right. Because it, 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 you, you couldn't feel one thing and it was going to take you on a journey. You were going to feel. Right. And mm-hmm. it also has these this strange device of her talking to the appliances and, and the moon. And it's, it has this very more Sendak quality, mm. you know, and if you, if you enter into that imaginative space, then it's very welcoming. And if you tune out and you say, what is this? Why is she talking to a dryer? <laughs> then, then you're going to be like oh, over it. And that is the wrong attitude towards this particular play because the play goes deep and dark places. And you have to be willing to want to inhabit a person who is not usually valued in yes. this world, which I, is a maid. This is what I love. This is one of the things that I love about it. And I, I don't want to sound naive about it when I talk about it. Or I don't, I guess I will. I, I was 20, I was, you know, I, 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 was, I was a younger person. Uh, and, uh, and this may speak to, uh, to, to that. But I, uh, this is a character, the type of which we, almost never seen a musical. Most musicals are about a self-actualizing person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the world says no, and she says yes, and then the world ends up stepping aside. Yes. Uh, and there are a few, and, and uh, you know, Gypsy is not one of those, and that's one of the reasons that Gypsy is one of the great musicals. Um, this is another one of those. This is a person you never see on stage, or you see them in peripheral roles. Uh, and it's not just because she's a maid, it's because she's mean, and unhappy, and she does not change. <laughs> she is not able to actualize herself and exactly. her dreams. You know, like yes. it's the opposite of what a musical usually yes. does. So it asks you, but this is the thing. This is why it was so special to me because I feel like in real life I meet those people all the time. Yes, um, we're all that person. Yeah, and I'm that at person. some point yeah. in our life. And I'm that person, and everyone is that person, but especially people who are in. Uh, service positions or things, you know, like you'll be at the MTA, you know, you'll be at the booth and you'll be like, why can't you just make my change faster? Why can't you just smile? I'm smiling. Can't you be nice? Uh, and uh, and it's not like you're wrong. Like are, they are being mean and so, but also what right do you have to demand that they be happy doing a job that they probably don't love? Right. You know? Right. And, and it really... I, for me, and I, I, I know this sounds na- naive, you know, like I should have known this all along, and I did on some level intellectually know this all along, but on a, on a deep personal level, I feel like this show has helped me be a better person on a daily basis. It's mm. helped me stop myself from judging other people. It's helped me remind myself that other people have lives and that other people uh, who are behaving in certain ways may be doing it for reasons that I have no comprehension of. And and just to step back and be generous to people, uh, you know, and and allow them to be unhappy if that's what where they are. Yeah, and I, don't demand that they pretend to be. Yeah, I happy. mean that was the gift of the show for me. Is most things that I ever did, uh, people were always asking me to be likable. 
Mm. Can you be likable? And and that is something George Wolfe never asked of me. And I think that George Wolfe may be the only director who would have done that. And I think because of my willingness to go to that deeply vulnerable, ugly place, everybody recognized themselves in that place. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has been that at some point in time. And to me, that's the cathartic part of that show is that. It is. And that's where it's a deeply humane, transformative show for me. And, and, I, and I, I hope that anyone who sees it can go into it with that with the opportunity to experience that. I, um, I, I've been watching the ads for the new version that's happening, and I look at it and I'm like, oh, no, I think they've turned her into a happy maid. Uh, I hope that's not true. I hope it's not true too. But the ads definitely have the stars and the, the sun around. The ads are her. selling it. <laughs> the ads are selling the happy maid. Well, so it'll be interesting to or, see. Or maybe it'll surprise people. The other thing about that show, I'm sorry, I talk about this show so much. I've, I, I mean, I've, for people who have listened to me on podcasts before, <laughs> they will already have heard me talk about Caroline so much. And I apologize to all of my three fans who listen to my podcasts. <laughs> but I mean, this is this is stuff that because I'm obsessed with this show. I have been for 16 years and. And uh, I mean, I saw it six times, five and a half times. I second acted it once um, on Broadway. Shh. Uh, but uh, I mean, the other thing with this show is that because Tony is a prophet, um, because I mean, I don't mean that in a supernatural way. I just mean he's unusually attuned to vibrations in the culture that mm-hmm. other people have not picked up yet because he is so enormously intelligent and mm-hmm. sensitive. And so, so this show is about economic disparity. This mm-hmm. show is about white privilege. This show is about uh, taking down Confederate statues. Mm-hmm. And this, is, this show is about stuff that was not going to be in the public discourse in a big way for another 10 years. Yes. And people were not ready for it in 2003. And yeah. now they're ready up. for it. Yes, absolutely. And it's about the next generation. Yes. You know, Caroline is not the protagonist of that show. And there was a version of Lot's wife that existed before we did it at the public that they cut because they said, if you did that version, the show had to end. Mm-hmm. And Tony was committed to the epilogue, which is Emmy. Well, and I've said this before, but um, <clears throat> that's that's what's special. That's something that's very important to me about the show because let's imagine that Emmy goes on and becomes a civil rights leader mm-hmm. uh, of some kind, right? And articles are written about her. They, they will say, you know, she's the daughter of a maid. Like they say, like the son of a sharecropper, you know? <laughs> and it's, the implication is that they come from nothing, right? And the, and so, but and but what is that nothing? Who is that nothing? Who has made themselves nothing in order for that narrative, that later narrative, to be possible? Yes. So uh, this show is about that person, and you never see that person. Right. So I mean, Emmy is there, and it's and she's the better version of her and mother. And it's hopeful, but she's the better version of her mother. She's the version that her mother makes possible, right? Because her um, mother does not destroy that spirit in her. No. But she destroys her own spirit, right? And, she, and the, the the killer line for me is "Take her away, I can't afford her." Mm. You know, she take Caroline away. Mm-hmm. Like Caroline sings this mm-hmm. about herself. Mm-hmm. Caroline, it's an act of self suicide. But mm-hmm. she can't literally kill right. herself because she has responsibilities, right? Um, and there's so many people in our world that that is their reality every day. So many people, and her dreams of hooking up with Nat King Cole or anyone else are never are never gonna <laughs> are come never going to happen. Um, and and this this Lot's wife, which is why it's so brutal and so beautiful and so moving, um, is her acceptance of her lack her of lot the future. in life. Her lot in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's pillar of salt. She she is the one who can't go on. She's the one who's stuck back yeah. in Sodom and Gomorrah. She can't move on with the next people. Right. 
She she can't stop looking back. Right. Um, and that's I think any anyone I mean some people have it much harder than other people. That but is true. everyone can understand it on some level. I'm sort of, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. I'm very um, down on Aristotelian story structure. I think it's a tool of the ruling class to uh, give, you know, us plebs a little joy. Like, oh, we have a hero's journey and we can survive. <laughs> but really, most people are not the heroes of their life. And most people are not taking actions that turn their life in another way. Most people are like dodging life and surviving the life that gets thrust upon you is the heroic act mm -hmm. for those who live through their lives. Thoughts, Mr. English major from Hall. <laughs> uh, I think that there, there are different ways that you can experience these stories and different myths serve different purposes. I mean, I don't think all of myths are heroic myths. A lot of them are. If you look at the actual myths, I, mean, I just saw Medea again, a, a modernized version of Medea. Uh, nobody, nobody goes out of Medea saying, yeah, I should kill my kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I hope you don't. Um, but Medea is, you know, those tragedies, most of them are not, um, they don't, I mean, they're tragedies. They're they, tragedies. They don't end well. Um, a lot of them are, are life lessons. And there's a, and the, uh, if you follow that particular myth a little longer after, after what happens with Jason, uh, he ends very badly. He, in, in some versions of it, he becomes a drunk and he's wandering the earth and he finds a ruin of the Argo, his old, uh, ship and, and he's killed by a falling branch of the rotting Argo. <laughs> So it's a very, it's a very. Dark, I like a tragedy. I yeah, like a tragedy. It's very dark. Uh, so it's not, but the, but I do think that the hero's journey things have their role too. You know, not that everyone can make a make their lives that way, but everyone likes to think that they could, maybe in some small way at least. And it's, it's definitely feel good. I'm not against yeah. feel good and stories. It, and it can inspire people to to make changes in their lives. Absolutely. Um, and and so I'm I'm. You know, I'm for that. But I don't want everything to be that. This is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to You Can't Say That. My guest today is Adam Feldman, and we deconstruct Carolina change, politics, and the Constitution. That was part one. Come back for part two. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.